Hello everyone I am your host Sukriti and I extend a warm welcome to all of you to the brand new season 3 of the Freedom to be Happy podcast proudly presented by happiness.me Over the past two seasons we have engaged in meaningful dialogues with 35 extraordinary leaders from across the globe Together we have celebrated their profound insights and tangible actions taken to foster a flourishing work culture. Through our interactions with these remarkable individuals, a significant realization has come to light. There exists no universal formula for crafting happiness. Each leader's unique approach has provided our listeners with the tools for self-reflection, introspection and growth. And in this upcoming season, we have the privilege of conversing with the catalysts, the empowerment coaches who are poised to elevate our show and align with our mission of cultivating a happier world. Here at happiness.me, we are confident that this season will prove to be an enlightening one, not only for our esteemed guests, but also for each and every one of our cherished listeners. Today's episode of Freedom to be Happy, we are honored to have George Anderson join us. With expertise in well-being, motivation and fitness, George brings a fresh perspective that promises to inspire and empower. After graduating with a master's degree in automotive engineering, George decided to follow his passion and pursue a career in the fitness and well-being industry as a personal trainer. Over the past two decades, he has delivered over 1,800 hours and more of inspiring individuals, teams, organizations to take more action so that they can perform better and become happier. His interactive keynotes and masterclasses leave audiences with a sense of "I can do that," helping them connect the dots between well-being and performance, and acting as the catalyst to change that moves into action. George's aim is to help more and more people bridge the gap between knowing and doing. And while speaking about all of this, he speaks about his own mistakes, his failures, and the lessons he has learned. And that's what I love about his work. Let's get this dialogue started. Hey, George! A hey, very, very warm welcome. Uh, thank you so much for the introduction. And I've got to say, before we get going, what a wonderful job you've been doing with the podcast so far. I think. your point there of interviewing so many leaders in different organizations and they'll all have their own approach and way of doing things uh, but the the big takeaway is that there is no one size fits all solution and uh, that's such an important message i think for for your listeners and subscribers because it can be very easy to fall into the trap of feeling like you have to follow somebody else's path but actually this is just so inspiring to hear all these different approaches uh, so and you're doing a great job of extracting the good stuff so yeah excited to be here Yes, thank you so much. We have been super excited and looking forward to today and I'll tell you a little secret. I'm a huge fan of your podcast. It really lifts my spirits. I am feeling a bit nervous, but a friend of mine gave me an advice, George, and I'm going to share it with you. She told me that don't worry Sukriti, even if things don't go perfectly well, George can just interview himself. 
<laughs> well, well, great advice. Great advice. I'm sure I won't come to that, but uh, I mean, you did offer beforehand to share the questions with me or the direction we'll take. Oh, let's just have a conversation. I think that that's that's certainly the vibe that I try to go for with my own podcast. It's it's if I've got a guest on, I, I want to get to know them. I want to find out and ask those questions. And we always end up going off in different tangents. And and I, I see this as being another opportunity to do that as well. So no, I'm genuinely looking forward to it and delighted that you've um, listened to some of my episodes of my podcast as well. Fantastic. Okay. So to start with, you know, what I was, you know, reading on your blog and of course, reading, uh, you know, listening to the podcast, I think one thing that really stands out uh, you know, in your leadership style, how you're training people is the fact of um, habit stacking, you know, how how do you kind of, um, uh, you know, actually close the gap between knowing what to do and actually doing it. And I think sometimes we understand what's needed. Uh, but the struggle to take consistent action is where the challenge lies. So yeah. tell us more about habit building, some insights on turning intentions into real actions. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? It's very frustrating for a lot of people, especially when it comes to physical well-being. As you mentioned in the introduction there, like I got into this after my engineering degree uh, as a personal trainer. And it seemed really obvious to me. Well, I'll tell you what to do. Here's how you exercise. Here's how you eat. Here are the changes you need to make in your with your lifestyle. And people will go away. They'd come back the next week and they'll be like, well, I didn't quite manage to do stuff. And, and it was really frustrating. And it still is for many. It just doesn't make sense, right? You're like, you know what to do. You're an intelligent individual. You're successful in so many other areas of your life. Yet this simple thing, just doesn't seem to be able to turn into a consistent habit. So what is that all about? And, and there are many, many reasons for that, many reasons why we struggle to embed new behaviors and habitualize them, and, and some reasons why some things seem to just fall into place very, very quickly as well. Uh, and I think if there was one piece of advice that I was to share, uh, one strategy, if you will, that people yeah. can look at when they're trying to make positive changes in their lives, bring about some some differences, is to think about coming away from the all or nothing mindset. Um, and we see this a lot in diet in particular, like I'm going to start a diet on Monday and I'm going to cut out all dairy. I'm going to cut out meat. I'm going to cut out um, sugar. I'm going to stop drinking. I'm going to make these big sweeping changes. And, and it's just too much. And we've all been there before. We've made those changes and after a few days, maybe even a few hours, it's all gone by the wayside and we're back to nothing again. And it's just overwhelming. And of course, then we're, we're, we also get this big dose of guilt and regret and shame that we, we can't do this and scratching our heads thinking, my goodness, I'm never going to be able to crack this nut. So the all or nothing mindset really is all then nothing. So we know that that doesn't work. And the alternative approach is more of a, a progress um, and, and than perfection approach. So I call it the principle of plus one. And if you imagine security for a second, let's take something like, um, let, let's imagine um, you want to uh, exercise more. At the moment you're doing maybe on a scale of one to 10, you might put yourself as three or four out of 10 in terms of how much you want to be doing. So 10 is like perfect. You're at three at the moment. Most people would say, well, I'm going to get to a 10. But the principle of plus one says, well, what would be progress? What would get you from a three to a four? And that might be going out for a 10-minute walk at lunchtime. Uh, or it might be doing 10 press-ups in the morning or doing a five-minute ab workout in the evening or maybe a 10-minute yoga 
session. It's, it's not perfect. It's not going to get you to the start line of a marathon, but it might be a step in the right direction that feels like you're going to get some benefits and it feels sustainable. And you just build these up from a three to a four, then from a four to a five and a five to a six. And that brings this sense of motivation and momentum that then carries you forward and actually starts to really embed these new behaviors into something that you just do. Uh, and then you get that confidence and you can build it up from there. So the principle of plus one is like the antidote to the all or nothing mindset. And, and I think one of the most important things about behavior change, we need to start small in many ways and, uh, and go from there. Yeah, I think that's an amazing thing. Like this Sochcast? Tune in for more with the Sochcast app from the Google Play Store. I was, you know, in fact, going through uh, this one book and which, you know, which spoke about meditation. Okay. And it was, and it, it had a very profound, very similar concept where it said, you know, try and meditate for five minutes. If you have the time to do five minutes meditation every day, try and do it for seven minutes every day. If you have the time to do one hour of meditation every day, try and do it one hour, 20 minutes, meaning, yeah. uh, Whatever you can do, just a little progress, uh, even two minutes of extra progress is the kind of prog- progress that will help you achieve your goal. Does it also align with what you just said? Do you think it's um, at a similar? Yeah, I, I think so. And I'm I'm very much of the, um, the the mindset and the belief that if you start off and you sort of give yourself permission to just like take an hour, for example, if someone decides I want to, or even fifteen minutes, I'm going to meditate for fifteen minutes. I, I want to try and go for 17. I've got time for 15 minutes. So I'm going to try for 17. But you know, if I hit 15 minutes and I feel like I'm getting distracted or I feel like um, I'm, I'm losing it and I, it's, I'm not enjoying the process, then I'll come out at 15 minutes. Um, and, and that gives you, by, by knowing that you want to go for 17, but actually aiming for 15 as that, that target, um, it means that you've got that permission. You might be more likely to start off the, the session in the first place. Whereas if you said, well, I've got to do 17 minutes, or 20 yeah. minutes. If you, if you set the, the sights too big, then it might feel overwhelming to the point where you feel yeah. like, well, I haven't got time or I'm never going to stick to that. And so you don't yeah. start in the first place. So mm-hmm. it's almost, you might call it lying to yourself. I'm just going to do, I'm just going to do 10 minutes. I'm just going to go for an easy workout today. And you start off and you think, well, I'm feeling pretty good now, or I feel like I'm really enjoying this meditative experience. Let's go a little bit further. So it's about getting that balance, I think, and, and to, to the point in the book as well, which really leans into this idea of just that stretching yourself and going a little bit further, like that progression. If, if you have an idea in your mind that you want to meditate for an hour, and if you've never meditated before, going in at an hour is just going to be way too much. But if you start at five minutes and then you add a couple of minutes on the next time and a couple more minutes, then you go for 10 or 15, 20 minutes, then you start building up this, this um, meditation muscle this yes. habit muscle where it's just, this becomes something that you do. And, and actually the biggest challenge with any behavior really is, is the, the, the friction between before and, and starting that habit, that, that behavior. So take exercise, you know, cooking a healthy meal, meditating. There'll be a time in the, in a space and time during the day where you're not doing that. And then you mm-hmm. go to, you're doing it, whether it's five minutes, two minutes, one hour, doesn't matter. You're transitioning and there's friction there. Whereas if you can, tell yourself that it's only going to be for five minutes and then you get better at overcoming that friction, that transition from the not habit to doing the habit the, the behavior. And, and that again means that you then start telling yourself these stories that 
it's fine. This is just something that I do. I know how to do this. I know where I need to be. I know what I need to be wearing. I know where in the house I need to be. I know whether I need to clear the decks so no one's going to be interrupting me, switch off all my notifications. And, and you get better at those things. And then it doesn't matter whether you're doing five minutes or 10 minutes or 20 minutes of the thing. Um, you, you've got better at getting ready to do it. And I think that's a really important point as well. That is, that's truly an important point. Uh, I want to now go to another question. I think this is, whatever you've answered is just so brilliant. I also want my listeners to kind of, uh, you know, really let let the words seep in and really take action, you know, step by step, you can create your habit. Now, the other question that I had for you um, is, is a question that I feel that, you know, all the leaders that I have spoken to, uh, all the authentic leaders, uh, you know, recognize that leadership is not centered around personal success or gaining loyal followers. You know, you know how when you have people around you which who always say to you, okay, yes, you know, yes, mm. boss, yes, sir, right? Uh, they understand that the key to a happier organization is having empowered leaders at all levels, including those who may not directly report to them, right? So, however, in reality, this is easier said uh, than actually done, right? So as human beings, we are naturally drawn to personal success. We want people to like us. We want people to, you know, agree to what I'm saying. What I want to understand, George, is could you guide us how to break this paradox of transitioning from being a leader with mere blind followers to becoming a leader who joyfully empowers others? Because I know you work very closely in this space. So I thought this is one question that a lot of us, deal with you know and it's it's yeah. it's only human it's it's natural to have that kind of a feeling so how do you kind of break that well i, I think it's a bit of a mindset shift actually security where if you think about what those leaders that you just described there who are maybe kind of really focused on or drawn towards the success the accolades the followers the the promotion prospects and uh, you know having the impact yeah. The reality is that that actually you get more of that when you have a team around you of accessing the the awesomeness within that team, the potential within that team. And you're absolutely right. If you have the leadership style where people feel that they don't have the confidence or the the, the safety to challenge you, to come up with an alternative viewpoint, to have an, an unpopular opinion, but yeah. maybe it's a blind spot that, that you as a leader and the rest of the team haven't seen. If you have someone in your team who's like that, who has those um, those insights, that, those experiences, those perspectives that they can bring to the table, then, then you as the leader and the team are going to be so much more effective and successful than if, as you said, everyone just goes, yes, sir, that's exactly what we want. That's, that's the way to go. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Um, because then you miss out on those blind spots. You miss out on those opportunities uh, and those creative, innovative solutions and better ways of doing things. So I think there's there's so much in this, in this idea of um, trying to get as many different perspectives and viewpoints together as possible. But to do that, you need to create an agenda, a culture where people feel like they have got that safety and security to to do that, where people feel like they, they can um, have those different opinions and that that's that's a process that's not just one thing that you can do as a leader but having that in mind i think that's why i said this is a mindset shift if you come away so well what i want is success and impact for me and for everybody else and the way to do that is to is to maybe share my own vulnerabilities yes. to 
uh, create environments and forums, whether that's virtual, hybrid, in person, in the office, in meetings, at conferences, where, where people feel like they, actually, they can uh, share those different viewpoints, actively ask people for those viewpoints uh, and be explicit that you expect, not just you encourage, but you expect people to put their hand up and 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 stress test an idea to put a different perspective forward. Knowing as a leader, that isn't going to reflect on you. I mean, have that 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 groundingness, have that sense of your own self-confidence that this isn't somebody attacking you if they don't agree with your idea. It's that everyone's working together towards a better future, towards better solutions, better ideas. And I think when you can do that, when you can over time create that culture, that's where you start getting the best results. And I think that's what we're, we're going to be seeing. We are already seeing that with a lot of companies who who have those kinds of cultures and it's much more creative and and innovative. And what's more as well, people want to stay there for longer as well. Yes. I think when we talk about well-being and engagement and the two things are really part and parcel of the same conversation, if people feel like they're listened to, they they can make a difference themselves, even if they're not leaders, then they're going to stay in that organization. They're going to stay in that team. They're going to stay wanting to work with that manager, with that leader for much longer periods of time. So it's 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 so much more effective on every level within an organization. But it's, again, easier said than done. As a leader, as an individual, it's about chipping away at that over time. And it's a number of different behaviors, a number of different conversations, and being consistent with that as well. Um, so that people around you really believe that this is just the way we do things around here. And I have yeah. got that psychological safety where I can have those differences of opinions and maybe share my different ideas. Fantastic. Like this Sochcast? Tune in for more with the Sochcast app from the Google Play Store. I love, I love how you put it. It's amazing. And I'm loving this conversation. But uh, we need to also dive into the rapid fire round. Uh, George, I don't know if you've heard it on my uh, podcast. Right at the end of the episode, I ask five questions and I expect you to quickly answer whatever comes to your mind. Okay. (laughs) Are you ready for the rapid fire round? I think so. I've just had a a sip of water. So I'm ready. I'm thinking fast. (laughs) Let's go. Let's go. Okay. Number one question. Okay, this one is the personal question, okay? So tell me, is is there a common factor between automotive engineering and human motivation? Well, there there isn't really, although I must admit, when I first graduated, I I did tell my mum and dad that, uh, well, you know, you just funded me through five years of university and I'm not using it in an engineering with cars, with automotives, but it's kind of body engineering, isn't it? So there is a link there. Um, but I think that's very tenuous and it's not really true. Um, you know, I, I love my degree. I, I learned a lot. I had a great time, but I knew that I wasn't cut out for it. So I, I decided during my uh, during that degree, probably the third or fourth year of the five, that I wasn't going to pursue a career in engineering. In fact, I was going to pursue my passion, which was mm. something I was very much drawn to, which was the, the, the physical um, space of personal training. Fantastic. I love it. Okay, describe a recent experience that brought you pure joy. Oh, um, I've just come back from a holiday a couple of, well, about a week ago. And it was just, I'm not, no, I'm not normally very good at switching off, Sukriti. I think this is quite common with a lot of people. I'm getting, I'm getting better at it and I have okay. practices in place, but I just, I went on holiday. I was on it. It was in, um, in Spain, at Menorca, a beautiful island. And um, just, I deleted all of my apps from my phone. I didn't even take my phone out of the hotel room 
most of the time. I was just lying on the sun lounger in a lovely, lovely weather, um, lovely pool, kids doing their own thing, my wife was doing her own thing. I was just lying there with a book um, and I felt absolutely in in bliss. It was the most incredible, um, in the moment, relaxing experience. And uh, yeah, very, very fortunate to have had the opportunity to do that, especially as I got back to the UK last Wednesday and the weather's been horrendous since then. So I'm feeling very smug that I've had that, that, that positive experience of some sunshine. Fantastic. Okay, tell me, what is your favorite way to unwind and recharge? Well, I, I have several. I mean, exercise, I'd say, is my go-to. And if I haven't exercised for two or three days, I'm a bit like my, my Labrador. I have a dog called Tarka, and, uh, you know, she needs going out for a walk every day. And uh, if she doesn't, then she starts, well, doesn't quite start gnawing at the furniture and you know, weeing on the carpet. But that's only how I feel. If I haven't exercised for a couple of days, I feel like a caged animal, like I have to get out there. So exercise yeah. is my go-to, but I've also been learning the guitar recently and just 15 20 minutes sitting down losing myself in plinking away trying to learn a new piece of music i find that very um i think i think it's, it's that flow state that we can get into where we just lose ourselves in the activity and uh, feels like i can completely switch off very very quickly uh, just for that short period of time so i try and integrate that into my day where i can as well Fantastic. If I knew that you're learning guitar, then I would have asked you to play. If you have it around you, would you like to strum a tune for us? And, and I would have said no. <laughs> it's not quite up to performing uh, performing level at the moment, but... <laughs> so, so, okay, maybe maybe when we do a next episode by then... Maybe yeah, give me, give me another 18 months and I'll be there. <laughs> All right, great. So, tell me, how do you handle setbacks? while staying positive. I know you give a lot of solutions to, you know, all the people that come to you seeking for advice, but I want to know how do you handle it personally? So I, I, I think as a, as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, as um, I speak at a lot of events and I get turned down for a lot of yes. events um, that I apply to speak at as well. And so setbacks for me has been a part of my, my business life. It's been a part of my the physical challenges that I've engaged in. I've had several failures, several things that haven't gone right. I've launched projects and programs that just haven't worked, completely flopped. And, and I have one or many strategies actually that allow me to keep moving forwards and to go through those. But one in particular, which is like zooming out. So when you're in the middle of a setback, when, you, when it's just happened, I don't think there's anything wrong with experiencing that, with feeling disappointment, because that's generally a sign that this is something that was important to you and you really want it to happen. And that can be quite motivating as well. So I'd never try and crush that down. But at the same time, I don't want to get swallowed up by it. So I allow myself to experience that, but I also zoom out. So I see myself here in the middle. I'm going through it. It feels like this is my life right now, this this feeling of disappointment and um, like not enoughness or worthlessness or whatever. Yeah. But when you zoom out and you see, well, this is a dip and in a day, a week, a month, a year's time, there will be a point where I'm out the other side and I'm on to the next thing. And this will be an experience that I've had. And what I find is that by doing that zoom out um, mental exercise, it, it gives me some perspective and it makes me realize that, you know, I have got, just as you and everybody else listening, a 100% track record of getting through those challenges and those challenges, you know, what makes us and defines us um, isn't what happens to us. It's how we respond to them. So in some ways, those setbacks can be the the, the raw materials, the fuel for, for our own growth and personal development. And although it's not pleasant, we'd rather not. We'd rather have success, I'm sure. 
um, we, we, there is a lot that we can learn about ourselves and we can grow a tremendous amount. Um, if we are ready to zoom out and to, to gain that perspective and to do the work that's necessary so that we can actually bounce back faster when we do have those wrinkles, those little bumps on the road. Yeah, fantastic. I love, I love this answer because I also believe that, um, of course, we all get affected, but I think it's the, uh, you know, how quickly can you overcome an obstacle? How quickly do you bounce back and say, hey, okay, mm. you know, the, the whole zooming thing. I think I just love, love this concept of, you know, you need to zoom out. Um, last question, but the most important one, define true happiness. You know, it's, it's it's funny, and I know the name of the podcast, reading to be happy, and happiness is a really big thing in in corporate world at the moment, as it is as it absolutely should be. But a lot of people, when they think about happiness, really go down the hedonistic happiness, the the smiley, joy, motivation, gratitude, pride, all those emotions that we uh, we we like to think should be a big part of our lives, and absolutely it should be, but it's not the entirety. Of, of happiness and a lot of the, the research over the last 20, 25 years into the world of positive psychology, as I'm sure you know, has really opened up this definition of happiness. So yeah. for me, it's it's beyond just that hedonism and that, that, that positive emotions. And it does bring in many of those other elements. I think one of the bits that has been truly important for me over the years, way before I was really aware of how important it was, is that idea of a sense of purpose. And a kind of a reason for doing things. I think any one of us, it's not about a life purpose. It, it's it's we can have many purposes, but when we feel like there's a reason for what we're doing, it's, it has some meaning. That's yeah. where we can really, you know, even if what we're doing is challenging, there are setbacks along the way. We feel those wrinkles of disappointment at times as well. When we have that sense of purpose and that meaning, it means that we can overcome those challenges a lot more effectively. And I think that's such an important yet often missing element of many people's views of happiness. Uh, so I'm, you know, ho- hopefully this will be something to to get people thinking, well, what is what is part of my purpose? Like who who else am I impacting? How am I helping the community, the the, the team, the, the wider organization or the world or my family even, or even my partner or, or children? Who else is benefiting from me? What's my purpose? Um, and and actually using that as a fuel to generate greater levels of this eudaimonic happiness rather than just the hedonistic happiness. Absolutely. I am loving it. Thank you so much, George. This was such a fun uh, conversation and such an impactful one at the same time. Thank you so much once again for joining and being a valuable contributor to the Freedom to be Happy podcast. You're more than welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Freedom to be happy by happiness.me is available on all leading podcast directories. Until the next episode, please take care, be safe and remember you have the freedom to be happy.